You know, as we sang that song uh, to close our time of singing together, um, as Matt prayed and uh, illuminated for us, um, that's what we are here to do together. That's what we do in this life as believers. We're called um, and given the gift of one another so that we might come together and magnify uh, Christ's name and to make his name uh, famous in the world, not our own. As we think about that, and I consider that, and uh, for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you or you're wondering, is this another guest preacher, uh, I'm not, I actually am on staff here, uh, and I've been on sabbatical for, uh, or had been on sabbatical uh, for a couple months, um, and I'm just so thankful uh, to, for the gift of our church to bless me with that time away, um, but uh, during that time away, uh, I spent a lot of time with the Lord, and so this is uh, the second uh, message. Uh, since I've come back, and um, in that time with the Lord, um, I, uh, as I sort of opened up last week, um, this theme uh, that sort of sat over that time with, with me, in a sense, and that is friendship with Jesus, and what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? Um, and I think about our, t- our calling to do what we just sang, to magnify the Lord together. He is magnified as we sort of relish in and live in, and uh, share our lives with one another in such a way that they see our relationship with Christ. It's our vertical relationship with Jesus that impacts all of the other relationships that we have in our life. And so often, there's a lot of gaps and perhaps some hindrances in the way that we relate to one another, even as Christians, but even more so potentially as we relate to the rest of the world because we don't have that relationship with Christ, that friendship with Jesus so deeply secured in our hearts that it has transformed our souls. And so if our aim is to magnify Jesus, we want to exalt him so that his name is proclaimed in all of the world, both in our local community, our relationships, beginning within our families and then going out from this place to our communities and then from our communities to the nation and to the world. If that is all that we desire to do, our relationship with Jesus is highly, highly critical. And I know that sounds sort of trivial for, or not trivial, it sounds sort of, well, of course, Pastor, you're going to say that our relationship with Jesus is important. Yes, I know that that's somewhat of an assumed place or assumed statement. But so often, I think we just go through life. And as I was able to pause and spend some time away from my daily routine and the regular roles that I play in my life, Um, that relationship with Jesus and the preciousness of it and the importance of it and the fuel of it to all the other work that I do and the things that I engage in became so crystal clear. And so that's why I wanted to spend a few weeks just sort of reflecting on that and teaching through some of the texts and through some of the things that Jesus taught me. Um, If you're curious, uh, one more week of this and then we're going to begin our Advent season um, and I want to just share two quick announcements kind of things before we dive into the text. Um, as we begin our Advent season, um, there is a new book written by um, a, a great pastor. His name is Ronnie Martin. Uh, he wrote uh, this book called The God Who Is With Us. It's an Advent devotional. I highlight this for you today so that you will know next weekend we'll have these available to you for purchase in our cafe. Um, those things, uh, these will be available to you um, cheaper than you can get them anywhere in the world. And so uh, I would encourage you to buy these and just come prepared to pick one of these up to lead your family through the Advent season. Also, we'll have enough that it'd be a great gift to give to a neighbor if you have a friend and maybe you want to have some dialogue over these devotions. It'd be a great just sort of gift to, hey, walk next door and say, hey, my family's doing this. Maybe y'all want to do it together and we'll 
come together over the fire pit and dialogue every now and again. And so these will be available. I'll just set that down there. Secondly, this week on our Instagram story, um, and I know that Caleb made me do this, by the way. So um, <clears throat> he's young and hip. And so uh, they had, uh, we did a Q&A, and some of you got on our Instagram and asked questions, and um, some were silly and some were actually um, a little deeper in, in, in thought. And, and one of those questions, and I think we're going to do it again this week, so just watch out for that uh, sometime this week. But um, one of the questions and, uh, that was asked is, what is this vision dinner all about? And that's on your announcement card, um, and you're curious about that. And, and, and my elementary school teacher taught me that if one person is asking the question, then there's probably others that also have the same question. Um, and so if you're curious, what's this vision dinner all about? Besides these brief few moments on a Sunday morning, it's, we are very intentional in this church um, to not really talk a lot about logistics. Sunday mornings are reserved for the worship and the exaltation of Jesus. That's what we want to do here. We, don't, we try to do our very best to eliminate or minimize any other types of conversations. But our mission and our vision and the direction that God is leading us is important as Christians to sort of stay aligned in and to build unity as a family. And so vision dinners, these dinners that we have periodically throughout the year, are an opportunity for us to come together and kind of talk less about just the gospel and its impact on us individually, but our work together as a church family, if that makes sense. And so we'd love to, to share sort of where we're going tonight and want to encourage all of you to be here. If you're a guest with us, you're welcome to show up, um, but especially if City Church is the church that you call home and this is your family, I want to really ask that you would come and be a part tonight at 5 o'clock. Um, so with that, back to where we were in Mark chapter 5. Um, last week in Matthew 9, in talking about this idea of friendship with Jesus, uh, I began by just sharing with you that we should all marvel at the fact that Jesus calls us friends. Jesus calling Matthew to be his disciples and then the Pharisees, the big question that they asked and they were confused by and even accused Jesus of perhaps doing something that was wrong or theologically um, unhonoring of, of, of God the Father is to spend time with sinners and tax collectors. And again, not just to spend time with them, but to have a meal with them and ultimately even to call them his disciples, to call them his friends. And the way that Jesus interacted with those people, sinners, people who had no sort of merit on their own, was an amazing picture of his love and his grace. And so often, I, as I talked about last week, I don't think Christians, Christians, hear me when I say this, Christians, our trouble is not so much with licentiousness, with doing things that are unholy. I, yes, there are things that we struggle with. There are sin issues that we battle. But that's not our primary struggle. I believe that our primary struggle as Christians is legalism. To believe that it's we are accepted by God and loved by Jesus because we do something, because we fill in the blank. And that's where we need to get the gospel deeply rooted in our own souls. And it's not because of what we have done or could do or know that Jesus calls us a friend, but it's because of who he is. It's because of his love. I, as I shared last week, spent two months. And in that two months, I was away from my family a lot. I didn't stop being a husband or a father, but my sort of time with family sort of changed periodically. I traveled more than I usually travel and was away from them. I didn't serve in the capacity of a pastor here at this church. I didn't meet with you. I didn't preach. I didn't counsel. I didn't, I didn't do any of the things that I normally do. So I had to ask myself the question, does Jesus love me? Am I still a child of God? Who am I? I ask that question because right now my resume, the things that I'm doing don't necessarily point to that. 
We need to be secure in that friendship. Well, one of the things that most hinders that is our willingness to be vulnerable before God. Vulnerability. I talked about our re-engage marriage ministry, and one of the reasons that I love that ministry is because it teaches and helps us to learn to be vulnerable with one another. Every week in that ministry, if you haven't been through re-engage, I know many of you have, couples sit right here on this stage, and they share their stories their stories of struggles, their stories of some victory, victories. Just They share their life with the group that is here. And then they get in groups and they share their lives together. And they're vulnerable with one another. And through that vulnerability, redemption happens. We see new life come. We see things restored. Marriage is strengthened and restored. Well, if we think about this idea of vulnerability, the world has, in a sense, painted two pictures for us to try and follow. And I believe... We all often fall into this trap. Either we are unwilling to be vulnerable with anyone, and especially before God, and we, that's sort of illuminated through all of our social media accounts. Look at all the pictures. Perfectly placed. Children looking oh so sweet with the right filter swiped across. Isn't that how you do it, Caleb? Everything curated to just present to the world this perfect picture of our lives. I grew up in that picture before there was any social media, and some of you still do this. I grew up in a family where to the world we presented perfection. We presented holiness. We presented everything looking right, and yet nothing could be further from the truth. My father's heart was completely dysfunctional. My family was dysfunctional. By the time I was 12, my parents were divorced. My dad had spent my entire life in some form or fashion, abusing my mom. But to the world, we had painted a picture, we had curated because it felt safer to do that than to be real. The other side of that type of vulnerability that's so frequently displayed in the world is this sort of complete opposite, populated by even some so-called Christian authors years ago. I'm just gonna tell you everything about my life, I'm gonna tell you all my mess, I'm going to let you just in on it all. You can just see everything that's wrong with me. I just, just sort of want to elevate for you messiness with no redemptive power, with no gospel displayed. That also is not what Christ is after, and that is not magnifying of Jesus' name as we live our lives together. And so we have sort of on these polar opposite sides, we have the sort of influence and the desire sometimes and we're sort of pulled in this direction to paint this perfect picture of our lives and to curate our lives so that we just present there is no need and no gap no holes in the way we live or on the other side I'm a train wreck right and I just stop there I've shared that with you I've used that phrase some of you have been around long enough to it's kind of become a running joke. There's t-shirts made, there's now hats made about my just calling myself a train wreck. But I want to be very clear about that, and I've tried as I have shared that before. Yes, I am, but I'm a train wreck who has been redeemed by Jesus, and he calls me his friend. That's where power is found. That's magnifying of Jesus' name. And so, as I spent time with the Lord thinking about this idea of being called his friend. 
one of the things that I had to spend some time in prayer, and I talk about just dialogue, just talking with the Lord, and by the way, that wasn't always sitting like this. Sometimes I was standing in a river having a conversation with Jesus. Who am I? What am I doing? What, is, what motivates me? What is the driver behind my life? And I realized that it's, I need to be vulnerable with Jesus. I need to be real. I, he, he knows it all. There's nothing hidden from him. But if I, as I strive and I live and we live together with vulnerability before Christ, understanding what that means, there is redemption that comes. So I want to paint for you not a new phrase, not one that I wrote on my own, but a terminology, a word or a phrase, redemptive vulnerability. That is the type of vulnerability that we as Christians desire and should be after. And this story of this woman who struggled all of her life, or for a good portion of her life, excuse me, paints so well this picture of redemptive vulnerability. Vulnerability that leads to life. Vulnerability that displays weakness and humility so that strength from Jesus can come and can fill. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the very end of this argument sort of that Paul is making in the first few verses of this chapter. In verse 11, he's talking to this church, and he's talking, he's explained the gospel to them, and he said, I want to, I'm calling you into this, and that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And what does he say we have done? We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our hearts are wide open. I want to encourage us what is so vital, what I've learned is so vital to my life, is my heart being wide open first to Jesus, to God. And as that happens, then all of the other relationships that I live in, whether that's a husband, whether that's a father, whether that's a pastor, whether that's a friend, are transformed. They are redeemed. So let's open wide our hearts to Jesus now. Jesus, I pray that in these few moments together, you would help us to open our hearts to you. Perhaps walls might come down in a way that they haven't before. By the power of your spirit, may it be so in Jesus' name. So in this story from Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been walking around, he's been performing miracles, and so much so that his fame has spread around the community, everybody is sort of knowledgeable of this Jesus, so much so that Jairus comes to him and says, hey, my, my daughter has died, you, only you, you have the power to raise her from the dead, you have the power to heal her, you have the power to fix this, so please come. And so he says, yes, I'll go with you. And he's following along. He's going to perform just another major miracle. Again, we read these miracles in the early parts of the gospel. By the way, I just want to encourage you, don't ever get over those. I know we read them all. And we're like, yeah, Jesus healed another guy. There's another blind person, just, you know, another dead man raised to life. Don't ever get over that. It's the same way in our church. Don't ever get over 18 baptisms two weeks ago. Dead people raised to life in Jesus. We should just be amazed that Jesus performs these miracles and moves Anyway, so he's performing these miracles. He's been doing this going on and on, and this crowd is growing around him. And there's now this woman that we hear about who in the midst of the crowd says, I need to do something. I need to go to Jesus. I love the way it says in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus and come behind him in the crowd. She had heard the reports about Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning only because you've heard some reports about this Jesus. What I just prayed was that you would know that Jesus that I know that redeems sinners and train wrecks and makes them into new people 
raises them to life. Well, if we want this relationship with Jesus where we are able to be vulnerable with him and through that vulnerability we are redeemed, redemptive vulnerability that leads to new life, the first thing that this woman's story teaches us is that redemptive vulnerability begins with understanding of our need. Redemptive vulnerability begins with understanding of our need. I have a perfect illustration for this. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but we do slides now. And <laughs> everybody gets really excited about slides. So for, if you haven't been around our church for eight and a half years, I haven't really done much with slides. That's, that's, I'm just not that creative and I'm not that good. But I heard there was a need and that some folks would, in, it, it would serve them and minister to you all if you could follow along with my sort of winding road trains of thoughts, if I'd sort of land that plane a little clearer for you. And so... I understood the need, and so now we have slides. So just by the way, and I'm still learning how to do this. I'm sort of, you know, old, old dogs are learning new tricks, all right? So just bear with me. But redemptive vulnerability begins with understanding of this. This woman had bled for 12 years. She had had this sickness. We don't know every detail of that, but that's a serious sickness. There's many other tentacles that come with that sickness and that challenge, but she had clearly gotten to a place of great need, so much so that it says that she had suffered even not from her own sickness, but she had suffered under the hand of physicians in verse 26. There were those that had, in a sense, been paid and hired to help her, and yet they had caused her more pain. She had spent all that she had. So now not only is she sick, but she's impoverished. She has no need to cleanse herself, to heal herself. She has no ability to do that. She has no money, and she's no better. She's only grown worse. It's continually gotten worse and worse. So that need, she recognized. She came to an understanding of her need. Sometimes the problem with those two types of vulnerability, here's what they convince in our hearts. We either paint this picture so much that we don't have a need that we begin to believe that lie, or we begin to think so much that I am so desperate in need, but there's nothing that can help me, so the only thing that I could do is just sort of live in that and continue to just walk in it. That's a hopeless place. Redemptive vulnerability begins with understanding that there is a need, that there is something that you lack. And I know many of us, perhaps some of your stories are stories where you understood or you had a need and maybe you weren't really clear on that need and you chased as many things that this world might have to offer trying to fill the gap of your pain. Your heart was broken, your heart was sick, and you thought, if I do this, it will heal me. If I do this, I'll find help. If I can do just accomplish this, then I'll be okay. And you've been chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. I want to encourage you this morning, perhaps as I pray, that the walls would come down and you might be able to say, I have a need that this world cannot satisfy, that nothing in this world can heal. And like this woman, you might turn to Jesus. You might turn to him and let go of trying everything else. This woman understood her need, and so because of that, she was willing to reach out to Jesus. Redemptive vulnerability begins with understanding our need. Redemptive vulnerability is also more than just sharing our secrets. On this other side of the coin that I was describing for you where we just sort of revel in our messiness 
We sort of accept that this is just how things are, and I'm just going to tell the world about, about it, and I just want you to be okay with it all. Or maybe you gather in a small group and you think to yourself, well, if I just kind of share this sort of reality with my life or these things that are going on in my life, that, that, that that's enough. Well, redemptive vulnerability says it's more than just sharing of the secrets. It's more than just saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm a little bit messy here, and I just want you to sort of be okay with it. Look at this woman's life. She had suffered for 12 years. Her, her problem wasn't a secret. She didn't come to Jesus saying, I just want to sort of fill you in, Jesus, on this problem I have, that you might think about doing something about it. She wasn't just trying to share a secret or just sort of open up herself. She wasn't just simply looking for empathy. By the way, she wouldn't have found it in anyone in that crowd. Empathy wasn't what she was after. What she wanted was to be healed. She wanted to be redeemed. Everyone in that community more than likely would have known her sickness. The vulnerability wasn't in talking about the sickness. The vulnerability was in placing herself in harm's way to go to seek Jesus' help. Say, I'm going to go and try and get I'm going to press through this throng that has surrounded this man, Jesus. See, what this teaches us is that vulnerability in and of itself is not the aim. Don't hear that. That's not what we're trying to foster here. That's not what I had to sort of spend time with Jesus doing. It wasn't just being vulnerable. It was vulnerability for the sake of redemption so that he could do work in my heart, so that we could do work together. So vulnerability, yes, it starts with admitting that there is a need and that there is a weakness. But too often in this culture, I've just found that telling the secret is what is glorified rather than seeking redemption and seeing Jesus' work. What we're after is Jesus to do work. I know I can easily manipulate your heart by telling you a story, by pulling at your heartstrings. That is not magnifying Jesus. That's me telling a story so that you think I'm great, and that doesn't do anything for you. It might, for a moment, do something for me, but it doesn't do anything for our aim of magnifying Christ together so that he would be glorified. So we share our stories, and I share, and I'm vulnerable before, vulnerable before Jesus so that I can be healed. The aim of redemptive vulnerability is more than just transparency. It's redemption. And so what does this woman do? Understanding her need and not trying to just sort of illuminate the story for the rest of the community. She goes before Jesus. She had heard the reports, it said in verse 27, and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she thought, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. She's got a little bit of some bad theology in that. But the amazing thing is, even in this sort of messed up theology, a little bit of magic sort of involved, she thought if I just touched Jesus' garment, I could be healed. She went to Jesus, and she reached out and touched him. Now, it might be lost on you in this story, but there's something that needs to be really clear here. This woman, because of her illness, was ceremonially unclean. In this time in history, she could not even be, you know, around the community, to even press in, to, it, it required great risk for her to do that, to reach out and touch Jesus. Anything that she touched became unclean as well. 
So not only was she touching Jesus, a rabbi and a teacher, and one who was beginning to be perceived as God and making him unclean, she was touching a man. There were so many things that were complicating with this story. See, redemptive vulnerability takes risk. What if God doesn't show up? What if I reach out and he doesn't do something? What if the story doesn't go the way I thought it might? These are the risks that we take. This is what this woman did. She took great risk. When we read this story, I know we can sort of gloss over that fact too quickly. I want to just impress upon you this was of great risk to her, to reach out to touch Jesus. One of my favorite books written by pastor and professor, and um, he's served in many roles, Andy Crouch. It's a little book. It's called Strong and Weak. He says in that book, the vulnerability that leads to flourishing requires risk, which is the possibility of loss, the chance that when we act, we will lose something we value. Redemptive vulnerability takes risk because we are stepping out in faith. She could have been even further ostracized from the community. Again, the theology issue that she has, kind of maybe thinking Jesus is magic, that illuminates. She doesn't know exactly who he is. She's seen what he's doing and she's starting to believe, but she didn't know. It wasn't crystal clear in her heart all that Jesus had done or would do. And so she took great risk upon herself to reach out to him. I hope that we would have that much faith to reach out to Jesus. The courage to say, I don't know everything. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. I'll sit down and with many of you, so don't think this last week. I'm not picking on anybody that I had lunch with this last week. All right. I just want to preface those things. This is like a common theme amongst all the conversations that I have. I don't know, if, I don't know as much of, as you do about this. Well, one, that's not always the case. Um, but two, okay, so what? You know enough of Jesus. You're asking for help. You're taking a step of faith. That's, I celebrate that with you, friend. It's a, it's a joy to see you asking a question or pressing in and saying, I, I'm not real sure about this. I'm not real clear on this issue or that answer, or what exactly this text means, but I want to know this Jesus. I want to know more what he says. I love when we take that risk together and reach out to Jesus and say, "I, I think that there's something that Jesus has to offer that is more than what I might understand. Guys, many of you show up on Sundays. Well, you do show up on Sundays. But guys, I'm speaking specifically, many of you show up on Tuesday mornings to our men's Bible study. And we have question and dialogue, and, and, we, and we sort of facilitate a dialogue around the text. Just the, 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 the courage to come, and so many, again, so many times I've had a conversation, I was worried you might call on me, or I, was, I wasn't sure if I'd have the right answer. I didn't want to come initially because I was a little concerned about this or that. Again, I get it all. But the, you showed up. What an amazing gift that is. Redemptive vulnerability takes the risk, and I just want to say, look at this woman's great faith. 
She displayed tremendous faith. This story is preserved for us in all of the miracles and all of the healings and all of the works of Jesus. I know we have many of those, but this particular one is, is preserved for us to, for a reason. Jesus wanted this story in our Bibles so that we could read it today for a reason. And I think the reason that it's here is to teach us about this woman's great faith, that she was willing to take a risk to reach out to Jesus. Take a risk. Reach out to Jesus today. If you have questions, if you have doubts, I shared a, a couple weeks ago, during, I think it was during our baptism service, I don't remember when it was, but I was, said, hey, I'm gonna be down front. Just have the courage to come forward and, and let's have a conversation. And some of you did. By the way, we'll be down front again. We'd love to pray. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to encourage you in any way we can. Take a risk. Be vulnerable. Here's the beauty of Jesus. You can't lose. What's that saying? Clear hearts can't lose. Isn't that what it is? I can't remember. See, I got off notes. That was bad. Y'all were supposed to help me with that. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. There we go. Somebody watches TV. All you sinners. Redemptive vulnerability takes risk. And with Jesus, we can reach out. And he will heal. And this woman's faith is a perfect picture of that. Finally, redemptive vulnerability magnifies Jesus. It's not about us. We say that often in this church. If you're a guest with us, you just need to know it's not about you and it's not about me. One of the things I've shared with many friends as they've asked me, other pastors have asked me sort of about sabbatical, I've said one of the things that I am most thankful for of all the things, yes, that the Lord did in my life and sort of our relationship is that for us as a church, we got to see together that it's not about me or anyone that ever stands on this stage. We got to see together that Jesus is moving and working and accomplishing his purposes here on the earth, and we've been invited to be a part of it, and I have a role in that to play, and I love that role, and I'm so excited about that role, and I'm excited to be back in that role and to be doing all those things, but it ain't about me, and it's not about you. It's about him. And so often in this kind of push and pull between these two types of vulnerability or lack thereof that we see in the world. It's so self-focused. We are so self-absorbed. I just want you to know I'm messy. I'm just going to stay that way. Nothing's going to fix it. Just love me anyway, right? Or I got no problems. Look at me. Everything looks great. This is both of those statements on opposing opposite sides of one another say it's about me. And that's not what this is about. Look at how this woman responds. The disciples, or Jesus asks, and this is again sometimes confusing. It's, I'm just gonna tell you, this is, this is one that I struggle with. Jesus says, who touched me? I think he knew who touched him, but for some reason he asked the question, who touched him, just so his disciples could sort of get on to him. Like, how do you expect us to know who touched you? You see all these people in here? There's no way for us to know who touched you. But in asking that question in that dialogue, the woman, she sees the question. And she comes to Jesus, knowing what had happened to her, knowing the redemption that had come because of the risk that she had taken, because of the vulnerability that she exposed herself to Jesus. She knew what he had done, and she came in fear and in trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. In fear and trembling, fell down and told him the whole truth. That fear and trembling is wisdom, and that fear and trembling is an honoring that says, Jesus, I know who you are. I know the truth of your power. 
It's about Jesus. He receiving the glory. He being magnified. One more quote from Andy. There's really no other goal higher for us than to become people who are so full of authority and vulnerability that we perfectly reflect what human beings were meant to be and disclose the reality of the creator in the midst of creation. See, Jesus displayed this type of vulnerability perfectly, and he magnified the Father through it. We talked about, as we studied the book of Hebrews a few months ago, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he was vulnerable. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He laid down his life, vulnerability, laying down of his life, so that then he could display his power over creation. And we, as Jesus' people, who have been vulnerable before God and said, we acknowledge our great need before you, that we have a need that we cannot fix on our own. There is a sin issue in my heart that cannot be redeemed on my own. I have to let go, Jesus, and I have to reach out to you. And even if I just, enough faith to just touch your cloak, if I just reach out, you can transform my life. You can redeem my life. And we display that. We magnify Jesus. We magnify, as Andy would say, the creator in the midst of creation. We tell the world that redemption is possible. You don't have to live in one of these two opposing camps. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Paul, looking at his own calling and then looking at the calling of the church that he was encouraging through this letter, he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Our world and sometimes our sinful hearts cause us to think, that life is found in being powerful, in being strong, in being wise, in looking at perhaps our noble birth, whatever that might mean for you, your lineage, your history, the tradition of your family. We look for all these things, and God's word says, you know who I use? I use people who have no power, who were not wise, who looked completely foolish to the world, and they come to me, And I redeem them, I make them new, and they testify of my power to a world that desperately needs to know its creator. That's what Jesus does. And when we stand before him, when we are before him with that, our hearts wide open to Jesus. That's what he does. That's what he can do. So I want to encourage you, friends, this morning, as Paul exhorted exhorted the Corinthian church, open wide your hearts to Jesus. You can be real with Jesus. You don't have to just keep that for the app. Be real. You can just open up your hearts to him. I know, like this woman, a little bit of faith. Jesus has ministered to my heart in a number of different ways. And because of what he's done in my life for many years and more Condensedly in the last couple of months, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father, more faithful servant of his church, 
whatever capacity I serve in this life, because of what he has done, the redemption that I've received, even those things that maybe were just needed to be sort of massaged or sanded down those rough edges of my life. Some of those things are rough, and now they're smooth because Jesus is faithful. This story about a woman, and so often I just would ask you, what is this woman remembered for? She's not remembered simply for being sick, for being a woman who bled for 12 years. She is remembered for someone who was desperately sick, who was made clean. That's why she's remembered, because she was made clean. We have been made clean by Jesus. What an amazing gift. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning as we receive communion again. If you were with us last week, we were able to receive from the Lord's table and are going to do that again this morning. And I wanted us to receive from the Lord's table just as another reminder this week of Jesus' love for us, his care for you, the tenderness of his heart towards you. If you're here this morning as a guest or as a reference, maybe just sort of peering in, thinking about, I'm not sure who this Jesus is, but a friend encouraged you to be here. You took enough faith and courage to sort of step out and show up to be here this morning. What we celebrate here at communion is we celebrate the gospel that Jesus Christ laid down his life for me and for you. And the bread and the juice that we consume, Jesus instituted this as one of the ordinances of his church so that we'd continually remember what he had done. We would remember the redemption that he has secured for us through his sacrifice. God rightly had wrath against sin and us as sinners. The miracle of Jesus' redemption is that Jesus went to the cross to take on that wrath so much that he died on a cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed for me and for you. But three days later, he conquered the grave and he rose and he's alive today. He's alive in our midst and we as a church magnify that life, what he has done and is doing in us and through us. So we come to the table just to remember. Jesus said, you're gonna forget Your hearts are prone to wander, as we sometimes sing. Your hearts are fickle. Mine is. I'm easily tempted to think it's about me or something I've done, and we need to remember that it's all about Jesus. And so we're going to receive communion to do that. Today we're going to do this a little bit uniquely as a church. Um, On the screen in just a few moments, you'll see that I'm going to read something, and you're going to recite something back. We're going to participate together in this. One of my favorite pastors and authors, Scott Sauls, wrote this little liturgy that we're going to go through. Um, And I want you to just, just as I encourage you when we sing, as Matt encourages us when we sing songs, really consider the words that are coming out. If you're a visual learner, just maybe read them without speaking them out loud. That's okay. Um, Some of you need to speak, but if you're a visual learner, you get a pass. I just want you to meditate on these words, though. I want them to sink deeply in our hearts. This is the gospel that we're going to recite to one another and exhort one another in. And then we're gonna come to receive from this table. Um, The center rows, if you'll come here, our elders will be serving you in the outer sections, the wings, you guys can go out to those side sections. Um, There's gluten-free options in the back. 
um, that are available to you. Um, the worship team will be leading us and just after we recite this um, statement or sort of uh, this prayer in a sense, um, as the worship team leads, come and receive the elements and then go back to your seats and we'll receive communion together. Let's read on the screen. What right do we have to dine at the table of Jesus? What gives us this right? We have this right because Jesus came not for the strong, but for the weak. Not for the righteous, but for sinners. Not for the self-sufficient, but for those who know they need rescue. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all those who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all those who are weak and frail desire strength, all those who sin and need a savior, Jesus welcomes into his circle, adopts into his family, and reserves a place at his table, for he is a mighty friend of sinners, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the indefensible, and the justifier of those who have no excuse left. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Pray that we would be people who just open our hearts to you. Thank you for the story of this woman who displayed great faith. Not so that her story, you didn't put it in the scriptures so that we might magnify her story. You put it in the scriptures so that your name might be glorified as we consider the faithfulness of one who came to you, who risked it. He said, I want to be healed, Jesus. And you responded. Thank you for that. Help us to not forget. You invite us to come to you with our hearts wide open to share our greatest hurts and needs, desires, Help us to trust you with them all so that you might be magnified in this place and in the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa for the glory of God and the good of the cities.